The Funambulist Podcast by Léopold Lambert. Today, the Hong Kong Umbrella Movement, Episode 1, with Lee Kai Chong. Hello everyone, today my guest uh, is uh, Lee Kai Chang, who is uh, an artist in Hong Kong and uh, as part of the mini series, mini podcast series uh, about the Umbrella Movement uh, uh, and, um, and its uh, geneal historical genealogy, as we will see today with uh, Chang. Um, uh, Chang, like, like, uh, like to all my guests, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you where we are right now and is this place has a particular significance in the city of Hong Kong. But I have to say I'm very sorry because I, <laughs> I, I have a class this morning. So we are in uh, Chim Sa Chui, mm-hmm. which is like um, the south part of the uh, Kowloon. So um, this is like we are in a building with, um, it's like a typical commercial building. But server floors turned into class like classrooms for a high diploma program for um, the Chinese University of Hong Kong. So I just finished the class and now I meet uh, Leopold <laughs> at the classroom. But um, for the significance, I just checked. Like actually, my work is an uh, I'm an artist, but sometimes I I would go back and forth to the archive, like uh, um, the open archive, and also the public records. So some of them are like old photographs. I remember there's a very um, stunning photograph to me, which is uh, a photograph with lots of shops on Nathan Road, which is like five minutes walk from this building. And, and those shops, they put on very big signs with like um, socialist or communist propaganda during the 1967, which is related to my work, um, the history of riots. So during like 1967, there is like the government, the colonial government, claimed or uh, declared that is a right, and and many shops they support like Chinese government, so they put on propaganda signs to like act against the British government. They say word like they have slogans such as Mao is the greatest, which is like a huge scale. The whole street like cover. Uh, the main part of the Nathan Road in Jim Sacher and, and those photographs are very monumental to the history of Hong Kong, especially to politics. Well, so, so that's great because we're already right into the topic, so you see it, it was a good thing to meet here in the end. Uh, uh, precisely, your, part of your work uh, is collected under what you've been calling the Archive of the People that is available online, so I invite everyone to, to look at it. Um, and, uh, and that's why I'm very happy to have this conversation with you as well, because we, we haven't, with the other guests, we haven't really talked about the historical genealogy of the Umbrella Movement and its, its inscription within a, a, a longer history of uh, social movements uh, and political movements in, um, in Hong Kong. Could you maybe introduce, uh, introduce us in the broad lines of this history? Mm. I think the first the first large scale social movement is in 1955 if I can't if I remember right 
maybe I can send you the information later. Like in Hong, during 1950, like 50s, like Hong Kong government kind of the like colonized Hong Kong. You can you can tell because after the Second World War, Hong Kong is part of the British colony, and then like we like Chinese people, they are suffering from bad economy, bad housing policies. So um, some of them are supporting like were supporting Chinese government or the nationalists, like the, the party from like Chinese nationalist party. Mm-hmm. Um, during the October 10th, they like initiate um, kind of like a protest, like in a very old house uh, housing estates. And after that, that, I would call that as the first like medium size or medium scale um, protest or the Hong government reclaiming rights. And then after that, in 1967, during the cultural revolution, uh, after 1966, the start of the cultural revolutions in China, um, the local communists or people who support China also try to initiate something similar. And then 1967, we, like Hong Kong government claimed it as the leftist rights. So um, as you say, like, uh, how do we put the terminology of left and right? And that is a very specific like, Chinese ca- uh, context during that time. And I think after 1967, the Hong Kong government tried to, the British colonial government tried to adopt a decolonization policy, tried to like, um, try to do Hong Kong people a favor, like um, do better social welfare, housing policy, and also establish the Home Affairs Department, which is like, like um, build more, how the build more basketball court. Um, better medical policies, like things like that. So start from the 70s, Hong Kong people will, um, and also the, the rising of the economy. So everyone, everyone has a better life during that time. So people don't think about like, I, I should support China or so, because we have a better life in Hong Kong. And people also learned about the democracy in Hong Kong, like uh, comparatively to, to China. Um, and after that, nobody really like protest during 19, uh, 1997 during the hangover because we are people are suffer from anxiety about like what will happen to us after the hangover. Will we like um, being like ruled by China in such a way that similar to mainland? And I, I would say after um, 1960, the leftist, leftist riots, umbrella movement is the first like democratized like social movement, like which like engaged most like majority of Hong Kong people. 1989 does not really in, enter into this history. There's a solidarity movement with the students in Beijing. Yeah, right, right, right. I, I'm sorry, I missed that. Okay, no, sorry. <laughs> yeah, the, um, after it, the it was pretty. It was pretty important, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, could you could you tell us maybe um, as as an artist, what is your work? How is your work relates to this history? Because I think it's fascinating how your uh, simult- means, uh, simultaneously exploring and deconstructing the archive and sometimes uh, what we may call the minor archives 
of those events and how, as an artist, you also produce objects and artistic piece that relates to those archives. Could, could you tell us about that? Um, actually, I started my project in 19... Uh, no, sorry, 2012. Like, right, like the, the year right before the Umbrella Movement. And at this time, I was kind of like, um, frustrated by the political situation in Hong Kong. So I lo- tried to look into the history and the open archives, uh, the public archives is one of the major like, source for my research. So I go to the open arch- uh, public archive in, in Guntong, uh, which is like a building with all the records, government documents they kept like, in, in the building. So um, I checked all the archives and records. I recognize a lot of records that are gone. And, and tried, I tried to email the, the officers and ask them uh, what, where they're going, like where are they? And they just say, we have no records of those documents. And after like months of research, I found out like many of them were taken away by the British government before the handover. And now they're sitting in the National Archives. So, in London. Yeah, in London. And now, like Hong Kong government have to purchase those archives from, like those records from National Archive in, in London, but uh, we cannot get the original copy. They have, like, the the, the one we, that we purchased is the photocopy, but sometimes they will try to wipe off some of the sentences or like phrases, and they have refused to uh, let you purchase that archive. So we have a very incomplete archive. On top of that, like Hong Kong government treated the uh, public records very, very badly. Like they don't even want to enact the archives law. So there's no legal obligations for the officers, government officers, to treat like popular, like treat properly to those archives. They can burn, like they can just destroy it or delete an email without like, letting the officers know. So, um, especially when uh, CY Learn, like the um, uh, chief executive, he just recently destroyed a lot. I mean, like he's one of the key figures, but he, he and his officers destroyed a lot of archives without letting the public know and what is his purpose and what are those archives about. And we always like curious if those archives is related to his uh, corruption. I mean, like or his personal business, which is like he get benefits from his uh, positions in in the government, things like that. So, um, and and one key point about the archive, which is related to social movement. Um, uh, in September 28th, which is the, the day Umbrella Movement started, government, uh, the policemen throw a lot of tear gas. So we are curious, who, make, who made that decisions? What is the procedure of making such decisions? What is the converse, uh, consequences? Who wrote, uh, wrote that report? We are curious about that. But in Hong Kong, there's low lower to protect those documents or conversations between the policemen and the government officers. So we are of nowhere. I mean, like, Hong Kong people don't... Majority of Hong Kong people do not care so much about history. 
archive is one of the source or one of the material of our history. So we, and I think I and my work is about trying to preserve and try to question about the system, why they make such decisions. Why not protect our, like, the assets of Hong Kong citizens? Why not protect our history? And can you perhaps describe some of the artifacts that you've been creating based on this work? Um, I think like, some of my work is about the imaging or the text of the existing archive. And some of the objects, like, so I, I create a series of like, um, uh, objects or sculptures that I made, which is to act those weapons made during the 1967 riots. And those objects I just brought it from the local ware store, the hardware store. Then those are nothing just nothing other than ordinary like bottles or um, metals and, and straps, things like that. But um, because I, I did this work because during the umbrella movement, the uh, the policemen will accuse the public uh, will they carry weapons on the street because they have an umbrella. They would say, oh, umbrella and also the face mask, those are weapons. So they just like took them to the police, uh, police station because they have those ordinary, like, everyday, everyday life objects. So I tried to um, respond to this situation and create a series of work with ordinary everyday objects. Um, well, so precisely now we are we are arriving in, at the core of the umbrella movement uh, narrative. And can you tell us your your own personal experience in relation to the to the movement? The umbrella movement like lost for uh, during the movement. I I I try to participate as much as I can. Um, I I went to MOC or Mong Kong. I, I went to Mong Kong most often. Like to stay on site until midnight. I didn't like sit in a tent and stay overnight. I'm because I have to work. But um, but after uh, in the later stage of the movement, I felt very frustrated. I felt I can't go nowhere, and as well as Hong Kong people. And during that time is 2015. Uh, no, 2014. And I can't. I couldn't do any artwork right after um, the Umbrella Movement. And it just, it lasts for one year. Like during that one year, I, I couldn't do any artwork. I felt so maybe disappointed, frustrated, and I tried to question about like, what art can do to say, not, to improve this like situation. And we seem so small when we compare it to the political regime. Um, yeah, this is what I felt like after the umbrella movement. I see, and the, the last questions I've been asking to everyone is, uh, what do you think the present and the future of the movement uh, is? Mm. Yeah, I know it's a tough one. But... I, mm. like, personally, I'm quite positive about the movement. Because after, right after the movement, um, the pro-democracy uh, camps, they divided into so many, like, so many different parties. Like, some of them are super against the umbrella movement because they consider umbrella movement is useless. 
but they are like pro democracy camp. Uh, I think in the last um, uh, legislative council election, we can see there's a wide, very wide variety of um, politicians, especially the young ones, like enter the legislative council. I would say, I, I hope in the future, the pro-democracy parties, they can go into so many directions. They adopt many strategies to try to, like, um, try to fight for democracy. I try to fight for democracy, and I, th- I would say that artists is one of them. Like one of these, um, one of these um, trend to be diverse and to try not to stick to the traditional way to like, like fight for democracy. But instead, like artists try to adopt like um, a very mild and also maybe proactive, like in different kind of style to let the audience or the public know what is going on. Great. Well, thank you so much, Chang. And uh, You're welcome. I think that was, uh, I, I don't know, uh, I'm not sure of the order yet, but this was the last conversation I was recording at the very least. Uh, so I'm very glad to finish uh, this, uh, this uh, series with you. And, uh, and once again, I invite everyone to go look at the, the archive of the people because it's, it's really uh, interesting to understand also the, the presence. Uh, thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs>